bringing you key insights, tips, and advice from the brightest minds in the Canadian franchise industry. This is the Franchise Canada Chats podcast. I'm Travis Tinning. And I'm Patrick Lainess with Franchise Growth Lab. Your guest host for season six of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast, where we take you into the world of franchising. Our interviews are with franchisees, franchisors, and industry leaders who give you on-point expert advice and share their franchising insights and experiences. On this episode of Franchise Canada Chats, we were joined by Ned Levitt from Dixon Wright, Frank Zaid from Frank Zaid Fran Legal Support Services, and Gigi Harding from Hand and Stone Massage and Facial Spa. And uh, we had a really great chat all around the history and evolution of franchising. Wow, that is a lot of franchise experience packed into one podcast. I sat this one out, folks, as I had the day off. But Patrick, what would you say were your biggest takeaways from interviewing this experienced group? Yeah, good question, Trav. You know, I was actually reminded that even with my 20 years of experience, I have so much more to learn. And as much as it was great to hear about some of the stories of the past, and, and there's some good ones in there, it was even more interesting hearing about what their thoughts on, on the future of franchising Canada holds. Wow, that sounds very cool, actually. I can't wait to listen. All right. So welcome, Ned. Welcome, Frank and Gigi. How are you guys doing today? Great, thanks. Doing nice well. Doing fine. Just cleaning up our street from uh, all the debris from the recent storm. <laughs> Yeah, you you guys have had some good ones out there in the last uh, little while, for sure. So on today's today's episode, we're we're talking a lot about the the history and the evolution of franchising. Now, you know, I I when when I'm talking to some of the emerging brands that we work with, um, they they're all pretty impressed that I've had 20 years of experience in franchising. Now I get to be impressed with your guys' experience in franchising. I'm, you know, who makes me seem like I'm, I'm very new to this. So excited to uh, get a chance to chat with you guys and, and learn more. Um, before we dive in, though, I'd, I'd love to get a, a brief understanding of your guys' history for the people, you know, that are listening and maybe haven't met you at one of the CFA events or, or, or through their travels. But uh, maybe we'll start with uh, Ned because you're here at the top of my screen. So maybe we'll start with you and give you a, a real brief, brief background of your your franchising experience well i began in the franchise field very very early in my career it was 1973 i was an articling student at a firm downtown and uh, their clients included kentucky fried chicken and uh, even the colonel himself uh, because he was alive then and um, i was given assignments uh, and they're rather difficult to get answers for because there wasn't anything written in 1973 in Canada regarding franchising. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, eventually uh, got drifted towards the uh, American materials where they had some litigation they had, they had at that time, some legislation. And from that point on, I uh, was captivated. It's an interesting dynamic area. Uh, and I just continued uh, on and everything I could gather up that was franchising in the way of assignments, I would do that. And eventually then, you know, I called myself a franchise expert in 1973 because I, once you do one file, you're an expert. And then the myth became the reality. 
And now we have franchise legislation and lots of cases and uh, a very, very dynamic marketplace. Awesome. I, I love it. So you, you are the colonel in Canada for franchising is what, what you're talking about. <laughs> They've called me a lot of things, not the colonel. <laughs> love it. Love it. Frank, how, how about you? Well, much like uh, Ned, I got into uh, it by accident. I was a chemical engineer graduate and uh, didn't want to do chemical engineering as a career. So I found out about law and intellectual property. So I took, went to law school, graduated, articled for an intellectual property firm. Um, couldn't stand the patent work, but loved trademark and copyright work. And I actually did some work for clients who were franchisors dealing with their trademarks. Uh, then I got uh, uh, hired by a large uh, law firm, Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, as a business l- lawyer uh, associate, but they wanted me to do intellectual property law within the firm, not to build out a practice, but just to handle the questions that came in. Well, lo and behold, this was 1973, like Ned, a mm-hmm. um, couple of years went on and uh Coincidentally, two small franchisors were referred to the firm from the United States, both in the automotive after service business. And the two partners who got these referrals said, whoa, what are we going to do with this? We don't know what franchising is. They thought franchising meant the Toronto Maple Leafs and consumers gas. (laughs) And so they turned it over to me and said, you figure this out, Frank. And um, so I started, I spoke to the clients, gave them intellectual property advice like Ned, uh, there was nothing that we could really find. I think there were about three or four lawyers in all of Canada at that time who were doing franchising. So I got immersed in learning about it, um, getting materials from the Canadian Franchise Association, from the IFA. And I very much loved the practice because here I was dealing with some real live clients and helping them come to Canada as opposed to being the third person on a bond financing in a large law firm. Uh, Moving ahead, I got involved in writing a book, which uh, I think is the most uh, detailed guide to franchising in Canada, the Canadian Franchise Guide, and that got me a lot of recognition, started going to conferences, and ended up uh, with a practice of almost 40 years in franchising. Uh, Retired about 10 years ago. Uh, I no longer am a practicing lawyer, but I am quite involved in franchise mediation and arbitration and expert witness work and sitting on franchisor advisory boards. And uh, here I am at this young age, still very much enjoying those parts of the uh, practice. Awesome. Love it. So, Gigi, we, the three of us, we kind of all found ourselves in franchising potentially a little bit by accident. I think yours is maybe a little different. Yours, yours sounds like more destiny from what I understand. <laughs> uh, I guess it was to a certain degree. I, I was always interested in business and that was going to be where I ended up. Um, but my uh, background is uh, my family was in franchising and uh, when I was at a university, I was working in a totally different field. And one of our franchisees at the time for Quick Copy invited me to work with her to build her first location. And so 
I jumped at the opportunity and worked with her and I kind of grew up and learned all aspects of it by working at the location and then went on to do work um, in every department that we had in Quick Copy at the time um, and then went off to do international work. So I did a lot of work in Australia and in uh, Mexico and Argentina, Chile, Brazil, like a great international opportunity of growing franchises in those and opening. Uh, I was on the ground opening. And then um, in uh, 2000, uh, when was it, 1996, my father retired from the business Um at the time, I was heavily involved with the CFA and, and uh, became the chair of the CFA. And um, and then my brother was also involved. He had a one of our franchises. He sold that. And then both of us looked at each other and said, okay, well, what's next? And, and we went, well, we've got a lot of experience here, great experience. Let's find another franchise to bring in. And, uh, and that's when we found Hand in Stone and brought that in in 2009 and built that. And um, I still, I'm not involved with the day-to-day operations anymore with Hand in Stone. I sit on their board and, and uh, continue to love franchising. I just think it's a great way for people to become entrepreneurs um, with less risk. So I love it. Totally agree. (laughs) Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, so, Frank, I'm going to start with you. Um, I, I believe you have the official title of, of the Canadian Franchise Association's longest standing member. So apparently you were paying dues before you even had to, which is great. Um, so <laughs> so in, that, in that time, you know, how, how have you seen the, the association change in, in how we support, you know, how we support entrepreneurs? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's an official title. I gave it to myself because uh, I know that my law firm, before I retired, have been a member about 45 years. And in my own business right now, where I'm doing uh, the the, uh, topics I talked about, uh, I've been a member five years. And nobody's challenged me, so I'll I'll accept the title. Take it. Um, Well, going back, when I first found out about the CFA, uh, uh, I went to... uh, a law day and um, that was being conducted by the firm that was general counsel for the Canadian Franchise Association at the time and there were seven people on that program six from the law firm and one minister of consumer and corporate affairs so I said well there's got to be an opportunity here Uh, how has the CFA's role developed Uh, it's quite amazing because the CFA uh, has done a tremendous amount uh, to grow its membership to most importantly promote ethical franchising uh, and to get involved in government lobbying and government relations, build out the membership through programs, through education, through conventions. Um, the original convention, I think, had about 35 people. Uh, and now we're into the, what, 500? Uh, The membership is much changed from what it used to be. The CFA was founded by four franchisors at a time when they were concerned about legislation. Uh, There was no such concept as uh, franchise uh, service 
support, support service uh, suppliers. That, of course, has become a very big part of the CFA. The reason why there wasn't that is that I think apart from lawyers and a couple of accountants, um, there weren't any suppliers that knew much about franchising. And it's really quite impressive when you see the very different segments where there's so many suppliers who have specialized in franchising. Uh, I think that the CFA has promoted Zor-to-Zor uh, -zor relations terrifically. There's an awful lot of uh, camaraderie between franchisors. It's a very unique uh, community as far as I've ever seen, where people are very willing to share their ideas, to talk to each other, to help each other. Uh, and of course, the, the whole involvement in trying to protect the interests of franchisors and franchisees through legislation, whether it's direct or indirect, that adversely affects franchising. And I guess the most recent example over the last couple of years is uh, all of the impediments about independent franchise franchisor relationships and the encroaching into uh, employment is uh, an issue. So the CFA is, is, is really done an awful lot. And uh, the only thing I would say is that I, I regret that it seems to be the pattern that most large franchisors that have been members of the CFA reach a point where they, they become inactive. So the, the membership is largely and very usefully composed of new and emerging franchisors. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I've, you know, there's definitely some some of the larger members, but I have seen a few of those members over the years as they get larger tend to become less and less active, which is which is too bad. And we've got to figure ways to bring them back on. Um, Gigi, what what are your thoughts and how you've seen the role of the CFA evolve over the years? Um, well, when I first got involved, um, gosh, I was sitting on the uh, conference um group and they, there was lots of opportunities but it seemed to me that there were um as as frank said that there was not as many franchisors it was there was a lot of suppliers at that time and there seemed to be a real push to get more franchisor involvement when i was on the board um there was also a real push to get franchisee involvement so that the CFA became more of a voice for franchising and in, in its entirety, rather than driven by just franchisors and lawyers who were protecting franchisor rights um, and advocating for them. So I think that now the CFA represents the industry as a whole, which I think is good for the industry because it's an equal playing field for everyone. Um, I, I mean, when I, I remember, uh, Frank was our lawyer at the time. And I remember when disclosure documents came in and, and it was terrifying, quite frankly. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember sitting down with Frank and everything that you had to, um, disclose to make sure that you didn't get yourself into a legal situation. Now it's just, um, it's part of franchising, and I think it's a good part of franchising. Um, I think uh, it 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 um, separates the good franchisors from the ones that aren't as good because you're required to disclose lots of good information so that people can make 
um, educated decisions. And um, that has been a very good thing, um, I think, in the industry. I have, I have no issues with disclosure legislation. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's been positive, very positive. And I think the, the other thing that we've seen uh, the CFA evolve on, and Frank already hit on this, was the advocacy and, and the work with governments so that we do have a voice, um, so that legislation isn't created that uh, doesn't work. You know, um, it's got to work. It's got to work right across Canada. For a long time, it was hit and miss in various provinces, and now pretty much everybody's got legislation. So I think um, I think there has been some really strong things that have come out of the CFA and their growth and what they've been able to do. For sure. I mean, you, you just said something you brought up when when the franchise disclosure document was introduced. I've known no differently. So I couldn't imagine a world without, um, you know, Ned, you've you've obviously worked with with a lot of franchisees uh, throughout your career. You know, what would you say has been the role of regulation of franchising by legislation? You know, how has how has legislation put pressure on the franchisors getting into full disclosure, ethical franchising, proper FDDs? To tell me more about that. Well, first of all, let's clarify that there's been an evolution in the industry and evolution with the Canadian Franchise Association. Years ago, when, when I first started in the area, um, it was often said that the raison d'etre for the CFA was to promote ethical franchising because it was a, it was a problem, uh, not so much in numbers, but the visibility of those who would take advantage of others through the franchise model. Uh, it wasn't balanced by other people that uh, were honest and uh, wanted to see everybody succeed. To, to today, uh, there's, if you think about it, much less emphasis on the ethics, like getting rid of the unethical franchisor, because now with the numbers of businesses using franchising as their distribution model, uh, it's really a question of competency. When things go wrong, oftentimes it's not the intention of the franchisor, but it's their capability that creates the problem. They're uh, underfunded as a new franchisor, they handle the relationship poorly. It, it, it's really knowledge. And that's where the CFA has excelled over these years, especially to today where there's so much uh, in the way of programming and materials available. And, and, and frankly, uh, peer pressure, where the CFA has a strong voice in government uh, corridors and is seen as, of course, ethical, but also competent and can speak with authority. So, so the franchise legislation was very important to help that along. And certainly today, you know, as you're saying, and as Gigi said, you know, it, it's just the normal course. Uh, everybody going into franchising knows they have to disclose uh, what is required by the regulation. And, uh, and, and I think by and large, everybody makes that effort. But when we see uh, controversies, because Again, not someone trying to cheat somebody else, but rather just do it in a way that wasn't uh, capable. And that's her biggest problem. So it's, it's evolved. It wouldn't have evolved all these uh, strengths of the CFA without the legislation, in, in my view, because it professionalized the whole area. And uh, sorry. I can't 
in a bad market. No worries. Yeah. Okay. So. That's a, hey, we're live. These things happen. Hey, we're live. These things happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ned, I like what you're saying. Like, you know, we've we've kind of gone from a place where people in franchising you are looking to you know cheat you um now it's just more of a case of do they really know what they're doing you know everybody has good intentions just are they ready to execute on that frank i i wouldn't mind you talking a little bit about that because obviously you net have both seen a lot of this from a legal perspective Do, do you see that to be the case as well um yes and no uh, good lawyers, former lawyers answer. Uh, let's just go back for 30 seconds because you and many people won't know that the original province that had franchise legis- legislation, and if I'm not mistaken, it was around seven, 1971, was Alberta. And they claimed that they had to have legislation because of the flooding of uh, the Wild West from the United States into Alberta and uh, disreputable franchisors. Um, The legislation that was in Alberta at the time is not the model that we have today. It was actually, it was disclosure legislation, but everything was regulated by the Alberta Securities Commission. And you would have to fill out a form of disclosure and you would have to send in all your documents. And believe it or not, Patrick, the Securities Commission could look at your franchise agreement and say, we don't like it. We're not going to allow you to to, uh, operate in Alberta. And it got down to minutia like, oh, we think that uh, only allowing 15 days to cure a default is not enough time. So you're going to have to change that in your agreement. It was a a tough gig to really have to deal with securities regulators in a uh, what was a an independent business relationship. Um, But I think the evolution of legislation um, uh, has done an awful lot, as Gigi said, to, to keep people informed. And there's no reason why a franchisor should object to preparing a disclosure document. Now, I won't get into the time we have about the remedies for improper disclosure, but they are very severe. Rescission of a a franchise agreement can result in hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars that a franchisor has to pay out to a franchisee that was not properly disclosed. And that's really the message that has to get out to franchisors. Uh, This is not a party. You are going to be severely reprimanded and held for significant damages if you don't properly disclose. Now, uh, in Ontario's legislation up until recently, it was uh, absolute... uh, liability no you know very few exceptions because there was nothing about substantial compliance or substantial uh, disclosure and that's been amended to relax what was a very tough standard uh, but I think legislation if you don't if a franchisor doesn't want to play the game and tries to find loopholes they shouldn't be franchising now the one thing I will say, is uh, is because I've, pra- I've retired from law and I'm now doing mediation and arbitration of disputes. Of, uh, I've seen an awful lot that I never saw in practice. And I'm quite upset when I see some of the disputes I have to help parties resolve or arbitrate at. There's still a lot of franchisors out there. You may not have heard of them, but they don't know what they're doing. They're not 
they're not properly disclosing. And also about our legal industry, there are a lot of very competent franchisors, franchise advisors now in the CFA. But again, I regret that I get to see a lot of lawyers who are dabblers and are creating large problems for franchisors. Absolutely. Um, you know, just just to hit that point home, you know, I met uh, an emerging brand at the most recent CFA convention. And until they came to that convention, they didn't know what a franchise disclosure document was. And, and they yeah. had locations already. And good for them. They're now stepping up to the plate. They're learning. They're trying to be better. But um, yeah, uh, I actually would not be that surprised what's out there, unfortunately. Um, shifting gears from, from disclosure. So, so we get a great disclosure document. Everybody's happy. Everybody gets signed up. Now, now it's time to turn to operations. So you must have seen a lot of things shift operational through, through the multiple brands in, in, in many years. What, what stands out most for you as far as how the franchisor works with their partners? Well, when I first, when I first started, um, I was thinking back that we didn't, we were doing everything on the fax machine. (laughs) There was no such thing as the internet. Um, I mean, for me, when I was doing a sales call, it was going and knocking on somebody's door and totally different than how it is today. Um, I, I think I look at how we were doing business in, in the eighties and then um, the changes once we got into the internet and um, how we market the business um, expectation of the franchisee. I mean, they, they we uh, just in, in the administration and collecting royalties, we uh, at the time in the eighties, we just, they would send in their sales figures and we'd say, okay, um, yeah, you could audit here and there, but, but you kind of took everybody on their word. And now with point of sale systems and data, it's, it's given us so many tools that have made it, um, I think better for the franchisees because that information can flow to them. So the, the data has been the biggest thing for me, I think in the evolution um, but I'd also say that the expectation of people is higher today, too. So um, franchisees know or expect that you're going to be able to provide them with feedback uh, very quickly. You have information at your fingertips to be able to show them what their sales were yesterday or last year and how they're trending and also comparatives to the top performer in the system, as opposed to somebody who's not doing as well. And the expectation is, is that you're providing that information back to the franchisees so they they can constantly be improving. And I think that that's been the, for me, one of the biggest shifts is, is um, really understanding and um, learning the IT side of the business has been a challenge. Um, thankfully, I, I've always had people who do know that stuff because I am not an IT person. Um, but as a franchisor, you have to be on top of that. And that's, that's been a huge shift over the last 30 years. Huge shift. Yeah, for sure. 
I'm uh, I'm a big proponent of of data and using data to make better decisions. So yeah. I, I, I'm I'm happy that that has evolved. Um, yeah, it's funny you mention you mentioned a fax machine. So so I, my franchising doesn't go back quite that far, but I do I do remember you know. Uh, one of the biggest marketing tools when I joined franchising was the yellow pages. Mm, not, not, <laughs> not, not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. So, yeah. Well, I think I think uh, Ned and and Frank would laugh, but uh, all of our communications with Quick Copy, we would have a little pad of paper at our desk. There was a communication sheet, and we had to write down the date and the and the time that we had the call, who said what, and it was all documented. And then we had you know, storage galore of these little sheets that you had to go through if you needed to go back and find something um, that was said in a conversation. It was, uh, it was uh, difficult to keep track of things sometimes. <laughs> well, I, I was going to, I was going to ask you a little bit about that follow up around communication um, because, you know, Obviously, communication over the years has gotten a lot more accessible. Sometimes that's good, sometimes not as much. But what was it like, um, you know, in the early days? How how did the franchise or franchising? And I do want to talk a little bit about the relationship in a minute. But yeah. how how did that communication flow? And and what what were the pros and cons? <laughs> back then? Well, it was uh, for us. It was all letter based, so you would be sending letters through the mail. Wow. Um, yeah. Same with marketing was all based on on. Canada Post delivering stuff for you. So um, the face-to-face, I don't think uh, has changed that much, at least for me, that has always been the most important uh, relationship building tool that we have. Um, people rely on the internet and, um, and, and you miss so much in just body language and in understanding when you just shoot emails off. And that's, I think that's detrimental to everybody's relationship. So that's not, that has never been how I have done business. Um, it has made it easier. Obviously it's quicker to shoot somebody an email. It's easier to organize a zoom call. Uh, now um, back then you would have meetings, your conference was your main focus really every year of getting everybody together so well luckily that hasn't changed no <laughs> and it's so important it's so important it's amazing um I, I will say like when you have a situation within a franchise where there's grumblings people aren't happy um it's it just all of a sudden if you can get everybody together and sit down in a room and have a conversation and discuss it and discuss the facts because one of the things I find is it's in today's places um it's so easy to have people get perceptions that are not reality that are not fact-based and make decisions on those and uh and we go down a road and it's like how did we get here this isn't correct and we need let's share with you the correct information so those those personal conversations and those meetings are just so still, still so important. Absolutely. Ned, from, from your perspective, I mean, now that, you know, communication is, is far easier, far quicker, there's never any problems with the relationship. Is there obviously that's (laughs) not the case, (laughs) but what, how have you seen the, the franchisee franchise or relationship evolve over the years? Well, in a couple of ways, I mean, first of all, if, the franchisor is not uh, tending to the needs of the franchisee reasonably. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and it's far easier for a group of disgruntled franchisees to organize themselves to take on the franchise or whether that's group litigation or whatever it's going to be, class actions. Uh, so, you know, the ease of communication, the speed of communication means that when there is a problem, uh, it can get out of hand much quicker than it was in the past. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, franchisors are after all, you know, businesses. So they have all of the challenges that any business has at any particular time. Right now with inflation rapidly increasing, um, supply chain issues, you know, uh, everything seems to be going south all at the same time, which provides an opportunity uh, and a problem at the same time. Like franchising is such a great model because it's, you know, you can do things as a group and you can negotiate discounts uh, as a group. Uh, R&D uh, can be done at the head office, shared with all of the franchisees. All of these things are just wonderful aspects of franchising and unique to franchising because you've got an owner operator paying attention to, you know, say at the store level. But in the same token, um, when we run into problems, like, I mean, the best example, of course, is always the pandemic. We'll be, we'll be saying that for years. And there were so many franchisors that did an incredible job of uh, working with their franchisees to solve that enormous shift in, in, in the marketplace and problem. Same token, if the franchisor was the least bit slow or not all that swift about how to deal with these kinds of problems in a franchise context, which is different if, if you have a, a, a chain of corporate owned businesses and you can make hire, fire people, make changes at your will. You can't do that with the franchisees. And of course, they're gonna be in different economic circumstances when a pandemic hits. All the franchisees aren't gonna be in exactly the same place financially. So who do you help and how do you help them? So it, it, it is an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time. So it's really a question of, again, coming back to, I think, you know, competence. Uh, for the franchisors who learned about franchise you know, uh, best practices and employed them, they did better by themselves and better by the, their franchisees during the pandemic, whereas the other ones did even worse than they would have done in normal marketplace. So. Yeah. yeah, no, you're you're right. It, it, it can get out of hand quickly. I know a lot of the clients were talking to them about their communication systems and um, you know how how do you how do you harness that? And they're like, well, we don't really have anything. The reality is, oh, there's something there. <laughs> you have a choice to be part of it or not. <laughs> and when you're not, that's when things can can go downhill pretty quickly. Um, Frank. You know, we, we, you and I have actually spoken a lot about, you know, franchise advisory councils. We've talked a lot about the, the franchisee franchisor relationship and how to, how to keep it strong. Um, how have you seen that? Same question for you. How have you seen that evolve over the years and how do you maintain that relationship well? Uh, I advised 400 franchise systems when I was in practice before I retired. And since then, I'm on a number of franchisor advisory boards where, they're independent advisors chosen by the franchisor from different fields to help deal with the franchisor issues and uh, best practices. What I've seen is, and I've written many 
articles and spoken about this many times. The word that you use, Patrick, communications, and that Gigi has talked about in that as well. I think that is so critical in the franchise relationship. And I think we've all seen franchisors who didn't communicate properly with their franchisees or didn't communicate at all or didn't want to discuss tough issues or didn't want to deal with complaints or problems. And that's not what the relationship uh, should be if it's going to work. And uh, apart from franchise or advisory boards, which are for the benefit of the franchisee, a franchise or sorry, uh, the growth and the utility of a franchise or well, whatever you call it, the names get confused. We'll call it the franchisee advisory council composed of franchisees with the guidance of the franchisor to schedule meetings and agendas. It's such a critical uh, utility today to hear from your franchisees, to give them a voice, to give them recognition, to have these regular meetings with a, an elected advisory council in a large franchise system. It may be regional. That's where the trust is built along other means. And that's where the franchisor has to stand back and say, hey, I know a lot and this is my system and I'm giving the franchisees the benefit of my knowledge, but I'm not out there in the field day to day. I'm not seeing some of the issues that come up. I'm not hearing some of the suggestions that the operators have to improve the system. And I, I can't stress enough how useful a properly run, and I emphasize properly run franchise advisory council is. If a franchisor uses it as a screen just to pretend that it's listening to concerns and suggestions and then walks away and does nothing, it's a disaster. But if it's run well, uh, it is an, a key element in good franchise relations today. And also, um, communications. There are so many different ways that franchisors can communicate and assist and give operational assistance. An intranet operations manuals are no longer what they used to be. Gigi and Ned will certainly remember. I used to I'd be asked to review operations manuals, and they were like seven loosely volumes of printed materials gathered from all over the place. Um, this is a, you know, it's all. It's all in, intranet now. It's all changing day to day. And it's very, very important uh, that franchisors maintain those operations manuals and standards and communicate changes. Uh, boy, it was surprising in the early days how many franchise agreements were written by lawyers saying that the franchisees had to comply with operations manuals and insert new pages uh, when received. And many of them never had operations manuals. So uh, those are my, uh, my real things, communications and uh, the use of the technology to make sure that there is proper communications and uh, guidance. Absolutely. Um, obviously in, in this conversation, I mean, there's, there's a lot that has evolved. There's a lot that's changed. Franchising has come a long way. Um, that being said, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. There's challenges ahead. What challenges do, do you guys foresee? You know, Gigi, I'll, I'll start with you. What What do you believe is a, a pretty big challenge ahead for, for the franchising community? 
I think initially staffing is going to be big for yeah. for all of us, whether it's franchise or franchisee. That's um, yeah. I think just as a demographic in Canada, we're we're aging, and there's not the group of people that we need, um, be it a restaurant or printing company or a massage uh, spa. That's that's a big challenge. Um, I think being on the edge of technology is also challenging Um, and just keeping up with with technology. It's a huge investment for a franchisor, a necessary one. Um, I I don't I I can't tell what the future holds for that. But I think those two issues for for us are the biggest. And um, um, but I, I right now um, in the near future, profitability obviously is a big issue just with the costs of what's happening with the economy, um, even just gas prices and logistics. I mean, it's, it's crazy out there right now. Uh, so yeah. short term, that's going to be a challenge, but I think long-term staffing is the biggest getting the right yeah. people in the right, you know, right seats is going to be tough, tough. I've seen I've seen a lot of systems right now. Staffing is already there. I think the the pandemic sort of brought that to the forefront and, and foreshadowed a little bit the demographic swing that we're going to be seeing soon, mm-hmm. very soon. Yep. Yeah. And I and I also think um, I think there is a cultural issue with um, uh, the generation that's coming up, and and I don't. I, that's probably a whole other <laughs> topic for <laughs> another day, but. Um, they're just, they're motivated differently than, than we were. And um, how do you, how do you get those people in to, to perform their jobs well and, uh, and see them successful. So yeah, a lot of interesting stuff coming down the pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Ned, how how about you? What stands out for you as far as challenges that uh, franchising is going to be facing? Well, um, you know, Franchising has always been based on a proven formula. That's what most franchisors talk about. And it's always, so it's always been important to uh, look to the past and then, you know, continue it into the future with the same sort of models, hoping for the same kind of success. But one thing for all of us, no matter whether we're franchisors or suppliers or other types of businesses, we're all living in a time of incredible rapid change. So it's a, it's the first time I think the realization for me anyway, is that if I'm advising a franchisor about what they should be going into the future is be a, a, a change agent, be some, be an organization that can be nimble, that can see things coming down the road and react quickly or even head it off if you, if you can. I mean, there's lots of things that are going to happen that no one can see coming, but then you better be able to react or you're going to find you've created a problem for yourself and, and probably your franchisees. So it's, it, if I were buying a franchise today, I would add to the list of all the things that we should ask a franchisor say, how are you when things change? Who, who in your organization looks at a change, uh, studies it, implements it? Where do we get our supports? during a time of, of disruption. Like, I mean, interest rates are going up now. They're, not, they're going to go up. They're going to go up more probably, but they're going to come down. I mean, and so, you know, for, if everybody's saying the sky is falling, then they may be overreacting and selling something when they shouldn't or it isn't advisable. So being able to cope with 
the rapid change that we're living in, and that I think is frankly going to increase in time, certainly with communication uh, speeds. So uh, that to me becomes something, and that's very difficult to just put your hands around. I mean, it, it's not concrete. It's it's really, uh, you know, what, whatever they're studying now at Harvard Business School is, is just soon going to be rolled out into the public uh, domain, and that would include franchisors. So there we yeah. are. Absolutely. It's, it's just prepare for the unknown. Be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, give you the last, the last word on what you see the, the, as the biggest challenge. Oh, with a last name that starts with a Z, I often don't get reached, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, Gigi and Ned have covered a lot of what I would have say. Um, yeah. Two other things though. Um, Big franchising taking over a lot of the opportunities for new and emerging franchisors, you know, with uh, uh, investment funds and uh, the acquisition of systems and lots of money behind some franchisors, the emerging franchisor might get squeezed by, by competition. And I think that's something we're going to see. And that'll be quite up, quite uh, upsetting. Uh, you have a, a family like Gigi's family that uh, you know grew to has grown have grown two very successful franchise systems without uh, having to deal with that kind of encroachment um, the other thing is uh, and we've all seen it something that's not really talked about a lot is when we talk about franchise expertise and advisors we talk about franchise legislation the amount of legislation and regulation peripheral that affects franchise systems is so huge today. And the cost of compliance, I guess, has to be as well. When you think about things that are pretty uh, common, like gift cards, uh, disclosure of menu uh, uh, contents, uh, banking issues, Insurance is a huge issue today uh, in, in franchising, getting the right kinds of policies, getting your franchisees to be compliant. There are so many other areas that go into uh, the composition of the franchise system that people are unaware of. And I guess that's why we have so many specialties now in the FSS segment of the CFA. And legislation is not going to go away. Uh, you know, when you, you're in the middle of an election and you hear some of the promises that are being made, you say, wow, I got to deal with that now. Um, and of course, what's been, as I said earlier, what's been predominant is the whole issue of the impact of employment legislation on franchising. So I think we're going to have to be prepared for more and more uh, investment and learning on, on other areas. And if you're in a regulated industry, um, of which there are many, whether it's uh, uh, professional trades type franchises or, or uh, uh, aftercare, healthcare, uh, that's also going to be more and more of an issue to deal with. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about the evolution of franchising, how things change, the challenges upcoming. And, and Frank, you just talked about it. It's, it's about staying ahead of the curve on the, on learning. 
And, and I think one of the best ways that you can do that, and here's my shameless plug, is by being part of groups like the CFA. Um, you know, getting a chance to spend time with, you know, our, our, the three guests we have today and, and, and the thousands of other members who have lived it, who are experiencing the same, the same things, who you can learn the best practices from. You know, one of the things that I've learned over my time in, in franchising and, and thought is amazing is that it, it is a pretty tight community, right? Every, everybody's, you know, more than willing to help each other, give advice, share um, so what better way to, to stay ahead of some of these challenges and, and evolve efficiently. And, and, you know, cause it, you know, at the end of the day, we, we have to maintain, I think GGU said it as well. We've got to watch out for that profitability. Um, that's, that's one of the challenges we have to make sure that we as a franchise are profitable as well as our franchise partners are profitable because although, you know, there's not a lot of brands that are solely in it for the money. Um, you can't do those other things that you want to do if you don't have a sound business. Um, so, you know, that, that would be sort of, uh, my, my, my parting advice would be, you know, get, get involved. So right up at the, at, at time here. So Ned, Frank, Gigi, thank you guys very much for, for sharing some insights and, and, uh, teaching us a, a little bit more of what, what happened in the earlier days. So, uh, love it. And, uh, I'm sure if anybody has any any questions or wants to connect anything, you guys are more more than willing to uh, to take any faxes. So that that would be great. Um, all right, guys, thank you very much for today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, and, uh, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. For more franchising resources, including how to articles, expert advice franchisee success stories and franchise opportunities visit franchisecanada.online don't forget to subscribe to franchise canada e-news while you're there you can also learn more about franchising at cfa.ca and connect with specific franchise opportunities at lookforafranchise.ca